We are going live. Hey everyone, this is Ken, and this is the Tech Entrepreneur Office Hours. I hope everybody's having a great day. We are streaming on a couple of things, and I should probably turn off my notifications so that people don't dial in. We have a couple of great questions today, um, and we're going to jump right into it. Thank you so much for emailing me your questions. I know that most some people don't want to be on the stream, or some people are working during this time, and um, you're going to get it emailed to you right after this. Okay, so the first question that we have today is, can I, can I build a startup with only a remote team? The answer is yes. Um, generally speaking, well, the answer is yes, kind of. Um, when it comes to hiring engineers, hiring people to create the assets for your startup, and it depends on what type of startup it is too. So if, we, if we're focusing only on tech startups, then I'm assuming that because you sent it to me and I'm the tech startup guy. Uh, focusing only on tech startups, yes, you are able to create a startup with only a remote, a remote team. When you, you could hire developers from all over the world, you can hire people who do various sale op sales operations, again, from all over the world. And you could even find your, your C-suite team online and you, you just hire them right from there. So what, when it comes to building a remote team, you do want to have a structure around that. You want to make sure that while you're building it, um, you, have, you have digital spaces. So right now we're on Zoom. Um, but right now we're on Zoom and it's a, it's a, it's a great tool to do face-to-face -to -face communication. But you, will, you also want to have tools such as Slack, um, Google Docs, Box, Dropbox. You kind of want to have the entire suite of remote applications that got big during COVID actually um, to, to, to ensure that you have the office framework around your startup. Um, because there have been people who started remote startups and due to a lack of communication or blurry vision or fuzzy vision, uh, they didn't get to where they needed to be. Um, and it's not necessarily because it was a remote startup, it's because of the architecture around their startup. So there's that. One tool that I would absolutely recommend is Notion. Notion actually acts as your wiki for your entire, for your entire organization. It allows you to, to pretty much document everything. Uh, it has HR stuff. It allows you to, to, to actually do pro project management. Um, so use that for your remote startup and you should be fine. All right. What is the worst thing about working in a startup company? Ugh, the worst thing. Um, so interestingly enough, um, when we engage with our clients, we don't necessarily work in their office or in their space. Um, essentially, when we work, it's you know, in our office, in our space, uh, and, and we do our, our, our own thing. Um, but I could, I'll answer this question by focusing more along the lines of uh, what's the worst thing about working in a development company? And I could share 
some slight tea, if you will, about working in a startup company. So when working in a development company, if you, one of the worst things that could, I guess the worst things that could happen is uh, you have a tight deadline and you have to work overtime or you have to work an 80 hour week. Generally speaking, um, well, in the beginning of our, of Vermilion Sky, uh, we all worked 80 hour weeks uh, because that was the culture of the development space. You're not a real developer if you're not working 120 hours a week and you're also working on your side project on the weekends. Um, and if you have time to breathe, you know, you're not a real developer. So uh, when it comes to, I, I would say that in the beginning, we, we, we kind of adopted that culture of, um, we did adopt the culture of, you have to work, 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 and no time for anything else. I mean, even when we, even when my, my son, my youngest son, Benjamin was born, I worked right up to the point where my wife's water broke. And as soon as Benjamin was out, you know, we had to work. That's unhealthy. Nobody should do that. Uh, and I don't advocate to, for that. So in this sense, I would say that that is the worst thing when it comes to working in the development space. Um, yeah. Another thing that's pretty bad is, uh, I, I would guess the, so what, what, yeah, it's also the culture around that. And um, I mean, it really sucks, like working, actually developing 80 hours a week. It sucks mainly because after that first 40 hours, everything that happens after that is just garbage code. Not necessarily garbage code, but it, it, it could be, it's not going to be your best code. You just want to get it to work. And you know, you're probably not writing any tests. You're probably uh, just doing quick testing everybody else on the team is is tired or upset or not happy and it's 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 just that nice so that's the worst thing working from a development for a development company um in a startup company i'd also say that it's very similar so what we've seen from people in the startup company is uh i guess the worst thing that that happens is when money starts to run out uh, when you under when you when you see from the finances that you have a runway and the product that you're going to launch is past that runway and it's either you have to ask people to work for free or you have to push people to the point where they are like uh, you you offer them stock uh, and you hope that you get money in so and and generally speaking, when you're running out of money, you either, you know, kind of go hat in hand to your investor and say, hey, look, we need an extra $40,000 or we need something to get us to this milestone. It's not the best situation because you don't really have any leverage in that. So for a founders, from a founder's perspective, running out of money, that's the worst thing that could happen to you. All right. And let's jump to the next question. Currently, I have about five, 5,000 users on my app, and I want to expand it to tens, tens, of, uh, tens of thousands of users. What are some of the tried and true techniques that most startups use? I am in the healthcare space. All right. Um, 
Congratulations on getting 5,000 plus users. That is a, that, that's a big milestone. Uh, when it comes to actually expanding to more people, it depends on your business model. So one of the tools that we use is the business model canvas or the lean canvas. Um, and in the business model canvas and the lean canvas, uh, there are two, there are two blocks. You know what, I, I, should, I should actually just show it on my screen. Take a, we'll just do it on Google. Boom. It's important, which is why uh, I'm showing this to you. Okay. All right. So in the business model canvas or the lean canvas, you want to make sure, so if you haven't gone through this process, um, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, this is essentially a business plan on one sheet. There are, we'll probably do a webinar about this in the future on how to fill out your business model canvas for a tech startup or lean canvas for a tech startup. Um, but essentially you want to focus on your value, your customer segments and your value propositions. Right now, if you have 5,000 users, that is, you're, you're, in, you're in a great point to actually go go for scale. Um, right now, for some reason, uh, and again, I don't know your app, uh, people in like, they love your value proposition. And in and because they like your value proposition, they're probably paying customers and they're, and they're giving you money. What you want to do is you want to, you could possibly add another customer segment. So you're stuck at 5,000 users for a reason. Um, if you add another customer segment, you could tailor your current application to fit the needs of that customer segment. Um, or, well, but, but also when you add a customer segment, you're also going to tweak your value propositions to, to attract that customer segment. Um, another thing that you could do is you could increase your outreach channels. Um, some tried and true tips is identifying, first identifying a new customer segment, uh, figuring out what their value propositions, and then marketing, well, creating a feature to fit their value proposition, validate the value proposition, and then open up a new marketing channel to just talk about that, that new feature slash value. Um, what is actually very, well, what's very good we'll say, uh, in the, as a marketing channel is cold email that works, um, specific targeted cold email, especially if you understand the customer very well, if you say, Hey, we have this new healthcare application, it allows you to do X, Y, Z, Z, Y, X. And then you blast a cold email to a couple, you know, to 20 or 30,000 people over a, a period of time and see how that works. The other thing that you could do is targeted outreach. You may need a salesperson to do this. Um, you'd create a, a list of leads. You would identify how they fit within your value proposition. Well, within your business model canvas or lean canvas, 
then you would have a salesman compile that list of, of people and then they would call, interact, email, um, and get them on the platform. When it comes to a SaaS type business or an application uh, in the healthcare space, you definitely may need to either demo your application to a potential to a potential user, or you may and, and and demo if your if your cost is very high per user, you definitely have to go the demo route. Um, if your costs are low, so let's say if it's twenty five dollars per user, uh, you definitely want to go. You definitely want to do more mass market uh, social media channel blast, paid advertising, Google ads, PPC, that that route. So that's those are those are pretty much the tried and true techniques. Um, from what I know personally, um, you may want to speak to people who who actually like run a hospital or the the people who do hospital buying and see if you could actually get into, get onto their radar and then sell your product to them. When you sell your product to them, they do the buying for the whole hospital or the whole medical situation. And then they just offer it as something for their clients. Uh, now, you don't necessarily have to sell, you're just, um, it's just part of the hospital. Your brand becomes part of the hospital. Hospital's trusted. If the hospital says, hey, download this app, they're gonna download the app they're going to enjoy uh, whatever value proposition that your application provides and you can do what you need to do. Yeah, we definitely have to do a business model canvas uh, style webinar because it is incredibly useful and you get more, you get a lot of value from it. All right, and I'm back. Let's see, let's go to the next question. Oh, also, if you guys want to hop into this live webinar, I'll actually put the link up here. Let me grab the link. I hope that's the link. And I'll post it on Facebook because I see a couple of people on Facebook and then I see people messaging me on Facebook, which is awesome. Um, and I will paste that there before we get to the next question. Let's see, let's see. On Facebook, and I see people messaging me on Facebook, which is awesome. Okay, anyway, back to the next question. How do you know if a developer is a great React and React Native developer? All right, now for React and React Native, um, these are actually two questions. So what React is, it's a, not a programming language, it's a programming library slash framework that lets you rapidly create uh, mobile and web applications. For React itself, by itself, React only refers to the web. React Native, it only refers to um, mobile applications. 
So we'll first talk about React and then we'll talk about React Native because React Native is, uh, it's more difficult than React. For a React developer, essentially, a React developer is essentially an HTML, CSS, just regular front-end developer that's pretty great at JavaScript that understands the paradigm and understands how to build applications in React. Um, when you build an application in React, there are a couple of libraries that you just kind of need to know um, to do anything that's of substance. So a couple of those libraries are Redux, um, which you, which is kind of beyond the scope of this. Redux is a big topic, but it essentially takes care of your application's state. What that means is uh, it, it keeps track of everything that's going on in your application. It's not necessarily a database, but it's more of it's, it's more where the logic of your application can tend to live. Um, another alternative from Redux is MobX, uh, which is our favorite, which, which we like to use. Uh, with MobX, it pretty much does the same thing, but we, the syntax is better. Uh, if, you, if you speak to, well, depending on what you're trying to build or, or what you're trying to hire for, um, knowing what type of logic framework that your application will use will kind of tend will, will tend to push you towards the type of React developer that you need. So if you're just building a front-end application with no real logic, you're, you're, it's just a informational website that you want to use um, the React Gatsby um, single-page website application stack, and there's no there's no real logic, then you're fine. But the most important thing for any developer to understand and to realize is how to build an application. Um, so again, if you're just building a website, uh, you could hire any HTML, CSS person that knows JavaScript, you're cool. If you are trying to build an application, now you have to spend more time understanding, well, your, your developer needs to know how to build an application. Um, the way that you build applications in React is it, you, you build things comp component-based. So essentially, your developer, I'll, I'll put this in the, I'll put, I'll, I'll make it an, an analogy with puzzle pieces. So imagine that your application is a huge, you know, 100-piece puzzle piece. Well, puzzle, yeah, huge 100-piece puzzle. Um, the way that we develop in React is we would develop the actual puzzle pieces and then we would place it where we need it to be. Um, the, the thing is, the thing that manages the logic is the thing that actually places the piece where it needs to be. So if your developer can explain, well, if a React developer can explain to you how they build components, because that's, a, that's essentially the most important thing in React, because everything is component-based, um, how they update their components and how they keep track of their components through the application state, then that's a great React developer. And actually, that's a great developer, period, because if they're doing that in the context of React, then they could take those same, those same concepts and then apply it to your application's business logic. Now, for React Native, you want a developer, so you, you don't want a developer, a React Native developer who only has React Native experience. The reason being is because after building, 
after spending years building React Native projects, if we did not have the core competency of understanding the platforms as they are, we would never be able to put out anything that's of substance. So for instance, um, there are issues in React, even today, like as a, you know, as an open source project that Facebook kind of tweaks and fixes up uh, generally every couple of weeks. Um, there are issues that you have to solve on the core platform to get things to work. If you don't understand, so if, you, if you're not great with Swift or, well, in this case, Objective-C, uh, and something happens in the Swift or Objective-C code, then you can't do anything. Um, depending on the, the type of application that you're building, that also informs what you might have to build on the native side. So there are, you might have to build your own library to access the native functions of the core platform that aren't available in React. So for a great React Native developer, they need to have excellent experience in building, well, they have to have, they have, to have platform experience. So you have to say, hey, look, I know Objective-C, I know Java, I know Script, I know, uh, and I've built applications in these, well, in these uh, platforms naturally. Once they do that, and once they've actually built like a pretty, if, if they could show you like they built a pretty hefty product, then you should be, then you've identified a great React Native de developer and you should hire them. It's important. Um, it's also rare, but if you have issues finding a great React Native developer, just call us. <laughs> um, next question is, should I work every day on my startup? Is it okay to take the weekends off? So um, now that we are generally at home, um, I do not suggest that you should work every day on your startup. If you, well, and when I say work, I mean, um, hmm. I have to think about that one. Because you, if you're thinking about how you could make your startup better and it's uh, on Saturday and Sunday and you're just like doodling notes, so I'm like, okay, well, I could do this, I could do that. That's cool. You know, that's not, that's not an issue. But if it is, if you are doing like heavy development, heavy business development, um, you know, you're asking your team, hey, you have to run these errands on Saturday and Sunday, or you're, uh, you're, you're just building more of the company on Saturday and Sunday, uh, you're going to burn yourself out. Um, usually, if you have to work past the weekdays, it's, it's a time management problem on, on your side. Uh, and when it comes to time management, as an entrepreneur, startup owner, you need to manage your time effectively. And part of time management is actually taking the time to rest. You have to rest. You can't work seven days a week. Uh, if you do, you'll burn yourself out. Um, now, when you do work during the work, during the work week on your startup, you just have to make sure that you're doing the most important things for your startup in its current stage. So if you are in the product development stage, 
make sure that you are your developers or your team or everybody well on, on the development side make sure that they're not working past 36 hours a week give them time to breathe yes we are at home and yes we can have the tendency to work a little bit more because we don't have to do we don't have to travel uh so we could probably sneak in one or two hours there um you could but code efficiency goes down the moment you your developer starts to feel tired or if they decide to take shortcuts because you know they feel overworked the moment you do that do that then you're building bad code and that code is going to be part of the product that you show to your customer you don't want that so instead um manage your time effectively um work i mean work on your startup do the business development stuff do the team building stuff, do the sales stuff during the work week. Um, if you do decide that you have to work on Saturday, make it more of an emergency situation uh, or make it content creation or make it something, make it the funnest part of doing your startup. So if you're doing content or if you're doing videos, yeah, I, we, well, I do my videos today and Sunday. Um, that's when but that, that's not really work for me. That's just fun stuff. Uh, sometimes on well, Sundays, I do plan the week ahead of time. So again, that's not like work. That's more like, no, oh, I'm just thinking about what work should look like for the, for the week. But you don't have to go as, you don't have to be a crazy person if you don't want to be a crazy person. Uh, and if you are balanced and you build a culture of balance within your startup, then people would want to work with you because you're such a great guy, just like me. <laughs> All right. Should I, the next question is, should I start my startup during COVID? Um, so I actually think, so this is going to be a controversial opinion, um, but I actually think that right now is the best time to start a startup. Um, actually, I think the best time, this is the best time to start any tech business, period. Um, because of the current pandemic and the way that things are panning out, more and more people are using applications. Uh, people are leaning a bit more on technology. And this is the perfect time to, to, take, to take advantage of that. Um, the other thing is a lot of the, so a lot of the current, so if, let, let's say if you had an app idea and there were like three to five other people who had that same app idea uh, or who have some type of implementation of that idea. Right now, they are losing market share. And if they're losing market share, then somebody has to pick up that market share. It's not like the market is going to disappear. Somebody has to take advantage of that. So that person could be you. That person could be some somebody in their basement in Tennessee who's building your the, the same idea. Um, it could be anybody. Uh, another set of trends that I'm seeing is uh, a lot of people want technology that allows them to feel safe. So when it comes to anything where you are, that was generally a person-to-person -person interaction this, we currently are living in a time where we could put a specific medium, a technology medium in between that person to person interaction so that both parties can feel safe. There are plenty of in-person events that are now becoming digital. 
Um, there are plenty of even even paying for stuff online or even seeing things, uh, even buying furniture, if you will. Um, it's becoming more and more digital. So if you have the idea and you have a, bit, a little bit of time, this is the perfect time to actually start your startup. And even if you don't get very far, even if you just go, even if you go through the, the process of creating the, the business entity, um, creating the, um, uh, you know, documenting whatever you need, creating a business plan, um, or doing a business model canvas or a value proposition canvas, even if you do any of those, you still started, right? Um, you still put your idea into motion and you're, you're still moving forward and starting a startup and being consistent through time or well, over time, that's, that's, that's who wins. So I would say, yes, start your startup during COVID, um, ensure that, I mean, with the theme of a, a couple of the other questions, ensure that you're not working every day, um, ensure that uh, you are, you're, you're keeping a good work culture, put some architecture around your team. Um, I, also, I also would say, don't go it alone, grab a business partner. Um, you know, if you can hire a developer, um, or hire somebody that might not be that might not be in work right now. Um, I there there are a couple of developers right now who have side projects or who want to be part of a side project. Work with them, um, but yes, definitely start start today. Don't wait. Well, I mean today's Friday, and I recently just said don't start. Well, don't work on on the weekend. So start today, then take a break, and then. Do it on Monday. All right, so let's just see how we're doing on time. All right, let's get to the next set of questions. Okay, who are the first people I should hire after getting funding. So uh, when you're getting funding, so the interesting thing about getting funding is you might not necessarily get funding unless you have a, a plan to actually hire someone. Um, generally, when you get funding, it's funding for something. So when you speak to investors uh, and you interact with them and you pitch them, you're not just saying, hey, we need, you know, $300,000 for stuff. You're, you're essentially saying, hey, we, here's our idea, here's our revenue or projected revenue, here's how this application works, here's how the marketplace looks like. Uh, we need $300,000 to XYZ, ZYX, ABCD, FG, right? So you'll, so generally speaking, after you get funding, you'll have an idea of what you need to spend money on. Um, and also depends on your, your round of funding kind of depends on what you will be spending money on. So for this question, let's assume that, um, let's assume that this is your first round of funding. Um, you got it to, well, it's your, it's your first round of funding, right? 
um, you got it because you met an angel investor that loves your personality and they're just like, here, here's $300,000, great. Um, if you are a tech product, the first thing that you want to do is you want to hide, well, you, you want to make sure that you have people who are working on the tech on a consistent basis. So that could be hiring freelance engineers, you could hire employees or you could work with an agency to get your, get your tech developed. Um, the next thing that you want to do is, and again, this depends on your, the, the phase that you're in. Um, you want to work on, you want to hire somebody in marketing. Um, because now that you're building the product, you're, if you're, if you're following the, the proper product, a good product development framework, um, we use hypothesize, build, measure, learn. Um, as you're going through the cycle, what's going to happen is you're going to reach more people. You're going to need to reach more people who you're going to need eyes on your company. So people will say, oh, oh new app. Let me download it. Let me see what it's about. Um, but the only, the only way that they'll know about your new app is if you have some type of marketing loop. Um, again, that could be paid marketing or organic marketing. You need to have some type of marketing loop to actually get those people in there. So as you're attracting new, as you're attracting new potential customers or users, um, you, you start to learn what marketing works and it actually helps you to build up on your personas. So marketing immediately after getting the people who actually do the operations. After you have marketing, after you have maybe one person in marketing, then you have to focus on sales. So even if your application doesn't sell a product, you still want somebody to do some type of direct outreach to your users to actually sell your product. Um, for instance, if you're, uh, let's, there was a health uh, example. If you're doing a healthcare application, right, um, you're going to need somebody to go and, you know, knock on door, well, knock on digital doors now, knock on digital doors, send out Zoom meeting requests, uh, do product demos and say, hey, it's, a, it, it, it's great. Um, and that depending on the price of your average user, that, that depends on exactly how you, um, how your salesperson works. But there are people who are experts at B2B and B2C sales, and you would definitely hire somebody to manage that process for you, unless you're just a master salesperson and you just get it right away, right away anyway. Um, yeah, so those are the three people. Um, after you reach five people, um, five people and maybe another co-founder or somebody to help on board and you have advisors, then you want to look into doing um, HR. Uh, you should have some type of attorney as well, just in case, um, because we've worked with clients and uh, <laughs> there have been times where other applications will say, hey, this application is similar to ours. And the only way to rectify that is to have an attorney to say, no, it's not. Um, so after the attorney, HR, and then you kind of loop back to engineers and designers, then doing marketing and then doing sales and you start scaling up. Um, after, after 10 people, 
then you need to hire people who are who are managers of the engineering department um, if you don't have a CTO, uh, design department, somebody who manages the marketing department, and a senior sales leader. Um, but that might be for your next round of funding. So that's how you should go about hiring. Um, but the rule of thumb is hire for what you don't have. So if you are an engineer designer extraordinaire, hire somebody for marketing or sales. Uh, same thing. If you're great at marketing, you still need a product on the market, hire a designer. If you're a super salesperson, then you need a product and you have to scale yourself and you'll be able to scale yourself through marketing. And boom. The next question is, we just launched an app. How do we market it? This is kind of similar to the other question, but let's, uh, let's change the variables, if you will. So if you just launch an app, um, I'm guessing you launch it to the app store. Let's say you launch it to both app stores, to, to iOS and, and the Android app stores. Um, first, I'm hoping that you did market research. I'm hoping that you understand who your customer is. And I'm also hoping that you did some, that you have some type of persona. Um, if you do, awesome. You're, you know, you're in the, you're already in the top 1% of people who will be successful in the app, in the app age. Um, if you don't, then go back, figure out who your, who your market is, figure out uh, who your persona is, figure out what their problems are, and then move towards marketing it, marketing it towards them. If you have a big budget, you could probably get away with just buying ads and um, just blasting the internet with content. Um, but if you don't, you're gonna have to niche down and figure out who benefits the most from your application. Um, what I tell my clients all the time is, an application exists to solve a problem. If your app doesn't solve a problem, then it shouldn't exist. So even with games, games when you're bored or when you're you know waiting for something or you're waiting online to get a, to get a pizza or a sandwich, you know you put out a game because you're you're just waiting. You're 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 hiring the game to actually provide you entertainment to make time pass by. Same thing with the application, but the what differentiates most application is the problem that it's solving and how well it solves the problem. So if you have a very big problem and your application does a great or a great job solving that problem, then your application will be successful. It'll honestly probably go viral because it's a big problem that's being solved. And um, you'll still have to do marketing and do everything right to make, make it successful but you'll have a much easier time if the pain point is very high. So just launch an app, what you should do is find out whatever that big pain point is and talk about it. So we'll first start about the free ways on doing this and then we'll talk about some paid ways on, on, on doing this. Um, so for free, this is what you could do. Uh, again, this is, if you have a persona, if you understand your market and you understand your customer's pains, wants, and needs. If you do that, 
then you would just talk about the, the customer's problem consistently. Um, yeah, talk about it so much that they go on your blog or another person's blog and they read about how you're talking about their problem. Um, this, is a, this, is, this is just content creation around their problem. People still use Google for search um, and people will find your app if it does provide timely and important and useful content about the problems that they're having. Um, you can also hop on podcasts or start a podcast or um, hop on podcasts, start a podcast. Uh, you could, if you could get on TV, get on TV. Um, you could, you could do a lot of unscalable things like in the beginning, you could do like literally person to person outreach, create a list of people who might use your app and reach out to them and say, hey, I have an app and it does this and I know that you have this problem, go download it. It's not very scalable, but you'll have to do that to actually get people onto your app. And it's also free. Um, in the beginning, when it comes to paid outreach, you want to start pretty small. Well, you want to start small in the sense of you're doing exper you're, you're, you're experimenting and seeing what works. Uh, and then once you find something that does work, you want to spend time developing that thing that works, but you still take some time to, to experiment and, and see what might work in the future. So, you know, start off with a minimum of 10 types of ads across multiple platforms or one platform, if you will. Um, again, this all depends on budget. Uh, start off with a couple, let's, let's not say 10. Let's say, so you start off with a couple of ads, you run them and you, you run them for a week and you see if you get any results for that week. So if you have two ads, um, you run on platform of choice, let's say Facebook, you run two Facebook ads, you A-B test them, whichever one has the best results, you keep that one and then you tweak and morph the other one until you have an ad that's consistently brings you downloads and maybe consistently brings you um, revenue. You also have to ensure that as you're doing this, you have to, you're, you're, you're getting the right users. So you don't want downloads that come in for a second and then they leave and they just, that, that all that means is you, you've, you've, down you, you you got a download but you've marketed to the wrong person um so generally speaking i would get an ad manager to help you to to figure this out you can do it on your own but it is difficult um difficult in the sense of there are a lot of moving variables um to actually get this done correctly because there is the like you have to create assets you have to write copy you have to monitor your ads on a semi-daily basis. You have to ensure that your analytics are, are set up correctly and that your analytics can be attributed to where the person came from. So if somebody downloads it from a Facebook ad, you want to know that it did come from a Facebook ad. Um, and over time, you'll see the effectiveness of your ad, not only from the a download perspective, but from how much time, energy, or money the, the user from that ad spends. So, yeah, I hope that helps. <laughs> um, I think that that is actually it.
for our Tech Entrepreneur Office Hours. I thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, as always, if you have any questions, feel free to send me a private message. Um, DM me on the platform that you're watching and we will dig from there. This is Ken Vermeil, the founder <laughs> and CEO of Vermillion Sky, and I am signing out.